big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose and I'm Lael Stone and today's podcast is all about anxiety. Now Lael, would you like to tell us why we are talking about this today? Well, I think, I mean, I've mentioned this a few times, haven't you, Marion, that I wanted to talk about anxiety because it's something that I have witnessed a lot, particularly in these last six months. So we're in this time of recording and we're still in this kind of big COVID all around the world uh, process and anxiety has popped up for a lot of people. But particularly, I guess what I've watched with a lot of um the advice out there for helping your kids manage anxiety, particularly going back to school when they go back to school or the times where they were going to school. And, you know, I, I, I always love to listen to what everybody's saying out there because I think it's really good to, for me, I'd love to find the pulse of where everybody's at and what they're saying. And a lot of the advice uh, around anxiety, particularly for kids, was that, you know, it's really got to do with their brains, which I, I understand, you know, often their brain is, is perceiving that there's danger there, even when there's not. And that's our amygdala, which is that part of our brain that, that checks, you know, is this safe to be here? And all those parts that are amazing and, and very true. But part of the the general advice was we have to kind of you know move through that with the brain and and um, and you know push through it and tell ourselves that it is actually safe. And I was like, yeah, that all sounds good in, in theory. And a lot of the examples were around you know dropping kids off at school particularly if kids were feeling anxious and just handing the child over to the teacher and really trusting the teacher that is a safe person and, and your child will be fine. And, you know, even if they cry, it'll be okay. And they'll learn that it's, that it's all right. And, and it is safe for them to be there. And again, I thought, yes, this all sounds good in theory, but then I have worked with so many families over these last six months who would come to me because their child has big anxiety and we're talking through what processes they're doing and what's happening. And a lot of the times I was seeing these big holes in what was happening with these kids because, you know, a lot of parents were saying, it's safe to go with your teacher. But their teachers perhaps, you know, and there's some beautiful teachers out there, these teachers perhaps have got 25 kids. They're not able to really hone on on one child and give them whatever space or time they need to listen to their feelings, hold space for them in that moment to create more of that emotional safety so the child can, you know, sense, okay, this is going to be okay. There's no danger here. It feels safe for me to go and then we move on. And so often, you know, our mainstream moves more into distracting the child or it'll be okay or giving them some rewards if they're brave and um, and therefore the anxiety isn't easing and and we're you know the next day we're back to square one again so many parents are like you know we did one day but now the same day we're doing again and again and again and I think in listening to those stories and what stood out for me is that there were some big pieces missing around how we help our children navigate anxiety and um, and, and again it ties in so beautifully to our aware parenting principles that we talk about that all our feelings and emotions are coming from a place and from a need and you know when we band-aid them sometimes it just doesn't serve you know what we're trying to do or what we're trying to help you know heal within the child so I think that's my why of why I wanted to talk about this because I really want you Marion to give your beautiful bigger picture 
around anxiety and around how that looks. And, and I wanted to, I guess, have an opportunity to share some of our stories personally and with children and give parents some tools, mainly for themselves and also for their kids around navigating anxiety. And I think anxiety feels pretty heightened at the moment because of depending on where you are in the world and what's going on, there's a lot of unknown, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worry and things are shifting and changing. And as things start to move in the world again, that can bring up those feelings of anxiety and being unsure and feeling unsafe and if we've got some tools perhaps to lean into that can make a big difference in our family so so I'm really putting out that intention today that people get lots from this podcast of some some better understanding perhaps or some tools to help their little ones or to help themselves if they have anxiety so I'm going to hand it over to you Marion because I want you to share all your beautiful goodness on the bigger picture of of this I actually wanted to talk not so much about the bigger picture but the to really understand um i actually don't use the term anxiety and i'd like to share why is because i think it's often used more like a label like people will will maybe say you know somebody has anxiety and for me i think that that can get in the way of actually understanding what's really going on which is why i'd love to give this model next so for me i prefer to really think about the the literal sensations that are happening in the body. So I'll tend to use feelings, uh, feeling words like uh, fear or even terror or, you know, literal, uh, you know, what are the sensations and where are they in the body? Is it butterflies? Is it the, uh, you know, the cold, clammy sweat? Is it, you know, so to really, um, rather than a label, which I think can actually get in the way of us feeling connected with, ourselves or the person that's feeling these feelings and can actually get in the way sometimes of really number one understanding the cause because when we understand the cause we then know how to remedy it and how to move in in ways that are actually helpful like you said rather than you know trying to just kind of push past it or by spiritual bypass it or pretend it isn't there or just you know coerce our child or ourselves into doing things is actually really to understand that uh, it's there for a reason. And when we understand the source, we can make changes at that source level, which I think is what aware parenting is so amazing about in, in the way it understands feelings. Gosh, I'm realizing we haven't done a podcast for very long. I'm out of practice of speaking on a podcast. Okay, um, so I really love, you know, I love Aletha Salter's three reasons for unenjoyable behavior. So Aletha Salter, of course, being the founder of Aware Parenting. So I've adapted it a little bit to also um, include the three reasons for feelings and there's the, such a similar overlap. So I see the three reasons as the first uh our thoughts or what we're thinking or the information we have. The second is the needs, unmet needs in the present moment. And the third is feelings, either feelings that are uh, about the present that are showing up or feelings from the past that are showing up, which is so often the case that feelings will bubble up and they're actually feelings from the past that haven't been expressed in healthy ways. So when we understand that there are these three different uh, sources of any feeling and most feelings I would say not all um, we can look at fear or terror or anxiety from that lens as well and we can go in okay with our child what's going on on each of those levels or with us what's going on on each of those levels 
So I wonder if you want to say anything about that. And then I'd love to go in deeper to each of the three. Mm. It's going to be really helpful to know it's not just one kind of mishmash. And I know for myself, understanding those three reasons has made such a huge difference. Yes. And I think, I mean, what I hear in saying that too is it's, it's often particularly the part of what we're thinking or even what are we feeling. And a lot of the time, you know, when we are you know, having anxiety or we are super worried about something that we have to do, it's usually because somewhere in our body we may have had an experience before where we haven't felt safe. We're doing something new that doesn't that we're unsure of. We are going back into a situation where perhaps we haven't felt safe before. And a lot of the time, as we talk about trauma as well, we can often um, have these experiences that feel really big and we don't get to process the feelings attached to that actual experience. And therefore that can stay as trauma in our bodies. And then when we are in similar situations, that trauma can turn up. And I think anxiety is like another, it's, it's kind of another nuance of that on some level too, that a lot of the time when we are having to do new things, we're having to put ourselves in situations where perhaps we feel that we're not going to be seen or heard or it doesn't feel safe. We tap back in again to a lot of those unsafe feelings that we have. And for me, even in reflecting around anxiety, as an adult now and understanding what I do, I look back and think that as a child growing up, I was such a good girl. There was probably a very low level of anxiety that ran through everything I do. I did because my, my deep core belief was I have to be good in order to be loved. And, um, you know, and that was, again, I would just, that was the story that I, I learned to survive, you know, and again, my parents are beautiful parents, but you know, the, the messages I got were, you know, when you're good and you do the right thing, then you will be loved. And so, you know, my big desire to please and keep everybody happy when I felt like I wasn't doing that well enough, when I felt that people weren't liking what I was doing, then these low levels of panic or anxiety would, would move through me and I remember actually as I was reflecting before we did this podcast that I used to have a saying that I'd say to myself as a little girl and I used to say it over and over in my head you know everything will always work out everything will always work out and that was the mantra I used to say to myself as a little girl because I was trying to convince myself that it was going to be okay you know and I, I think about my little eight-year-old Lael and I think oh darling this was all going on in your head you never actually expressed it you know you didn't really have the opportunity to share or felt that anybody could tune in to go, well, what is going on for you and what are you worried about? So I developed this mantra in my head of it's all going to be okay, you know, things will work out. Um, and and now as I reflect back, I go, wow, I was just living with this kind of low-level hum of, you know, this doesn't necessarily all feel safe, so I have to, you know, stay on high alert to make sure that it's okay. And then, you know, as I look back at my teenage years, that was still pretty present. And then in my early 20s, I think probably had a bit more wild abandon, didn't care as much. So for a while there, I didn't care what anyone thought. And then as you become a parent, then it all came seeping back in, you know, because now you've got this beautiful little baby and child that you have to take care of. And then there comes a whole lot of other stories with that. And then definitely anxieties turned up in my life as an adult in a much louder way that has given me such a beautiful opportunity to delve deeper into the bigger feelings associated with it and what they're really about so when you talk about those three models I go yes I can everything that I have felt when I look at what I would term as anxiety fits into those 
things, what I was thinking, what I was really, you know, needing or feeling at the time that wasn't being addressed. And, you know, I think that we can apply that to, to many people and many things when um, we're thinking about, you know, what causes our anxieties or our stresses, you know, is, is it from the past? Is it from not feeling safe now? Or what is it that's going on for us? I think it's a beautiful way to, to feel into it. Mm, I'm sending love to all those younger parts of you now. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> and what I'm thinking is, you know, when you were that little eight-year-old and you were saying, what was it, everything's, everything's, everything's going to be all right, like it's all going to work out. Yeah. And I think that's what I love about having the three different um, ways of understanding the causes of feelings because uh, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. So, for example, sometimes feelings are coming about because we lack information or because we're telling ourselves something that's not accurate about the present moment. So for example, when you're talking about children going back to school and just being told that they were safe, I mean, sometimes information and often information is really important when we are feeling fear or terror or any of those kinds of feelings in our bodies. But, um, it's not the only cause. So if, if what's happening is some unmet need, usually for autonomy of choice, or there's some old feelings showing up and we're just keeping on giving information, then um, it's not actually going to address the real root cause. So sometimes it's really, really important information, accurate information is really important. So that might be, you know, particularly at the moment is like, I think for all of us, actually, whether we're a child, whether we're a parent of a child, giving them information about what's going on. Or I know for me, um, being, getting really clear information and, and uh, information I could really trust was really important in supporting myself so that I didn't um, flip into to fear or terror. Um, and the other thing I really think as an adult or as a, maybe as a teen, when we get into the older teen years and as an adult is when um, fear or terror from the past shows up, we might start going into, we'll often, this is how feelings work. We'll often think, sorry, my words are really not flying today. We'll often think that we are in a situation of real danger because that's how the body operates. If we're remembering something, if we're reconnecting with the memory of from the past, it, it seems like that is happening in the present. So often we can start telling ourselves you know, really um, you know, terrible outcomes of what's gonna to happen to us. So sometimes I found really helpful for myself when I've gone into those places, it's actually also in my inner dialogue, giving myself really accurate information, like, you know, I'm safe and um, this, these feelings are from the past, they're showing up and I, you know, I made it and, um, you know, just really accurate information. So that information piece is so, so important, so helpful, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. So if we're trying to, just give information to our child it's all right you're safe and you know whatever it is if we're not attending to the other two parts and sometimes that will be enough but often it isn't because often it isn't just information it it might be helpful if they're lacking information or they're telling themselves something in some kind of repeated thought loop that is unhelpful it's going to be helpful but usually we need to attend to either the the needs in here and now, the unmet needs, and what's showing up that's actually feelings that need to be really heard, either from the 
the present or the past. So I'd love to talk about those other two, but carry on. Yes, I, I, I really want to share a beautiful story that I think ties into that beautifully. Um, I may have talked about this on the podcast, but I can't remember. You know, I love to tell stories. So we'll forgive me if you've heard this story before. But it was about my beautiful third child when she was about eight or nine. And she was going to have to do swimming lessons at school and she had a real phobia about going to do swimming lessons because she'd had some really bad experiences with swimming lessons. And, but she wanted to do the swimming lessons because she was at a new school, but she felt like she wasn't any good at it. So she said to me, oh, I want to do some lessons to get better before we actually have to do the school stuff, but I'm really scared about it. And I was like, yep. So how about, what can we do to make it feel safer? And we came up with, well, let's just do it one-on-one with one person where it's not noisy. So I searched around to find a private lesson with someone and I went there and I was like, I need to meet your instructors beforehand. Cause I was like, I need someone who's going to be super gentle who's not going to push and who's going to give her the time she needs, right? Because I knew that so much of her anxiety was coming from having an instructor who was really forceful and she just kind of shut down, didn't feel like she could express what she needed to. So I met this instructor. She was like, yeah, we'll go as, you know, as fast as she needs to, slow as she needs to, all that stuff. So I came back to my daughter and I said, okay, we're going to have swimming lessons in two days. And straight away she went into, no, I can't, I know I'm meant to do it, but I can't do it. I'm really scared about doing it. And there was tears and there was, um, you know, lots of resistance. I can't do it. I'm like, yep, I know you can't do it. Yet there was a part of her who wanted, she wanted to do it, but she also knew that there was a lot of fear around it. So we did exactly what you were saying. I talked about, okay, let's talk about what could happen in the swimming lesson. So the the teacher's name is this, it's just going to be you and her. And should we start the lesson where I say, help you say to her that you feel nervous, you know, because if we can own how we're feeling and she sees that, then will that feel better that she knows where you're at and she's like yes okay so so we started to really this is where the place is this is what's going to happen and I kept saying to her the most important thing is this isn't that you're in control right so this teacher knows that you can say stop at any time but this she's got to go at your pace so that information all automatically I watched it kind of bring a little bit of ease to her but then there was still some more, I don't know if I want to do it. This is really hard. And so for those two days before we got to the lesson, there was a lot of resistance. There was a lot of talking about it. I just listened and listened. And then there was tears that came and she would often go, I don't know why I'm crying. And I'd be going, it doesn't matter. You can just cry. It's okay. And then she'd go, I'm scared. I'm like, yes, you're scared. And she would cry and she would, um, you know, she'd have these big feelings around how scared she was about doing it. And then even driving to the first lesson, you know, she's in the car going, I don't think we should do this. We should go home. And I'm like, I hear you want to go home, sweetie, but I'm going to be with you. And the need part for her was so much about feeling safe. So I said to her, I'm going to be right beside you. And if ever it feels too much, you look at me and we can stop. You are in control here. So you know, you need to feel safe around this is important. You need to feel heard. It's really important. And so she's still crying in the car as we get there. And, you know, I'm just listening, listening, listening. I'm not trying to fix. and I'm not trying to reassure her. I'm just like, I'm here for you. And then we get out of the car. She's still feeling really tentative. And then we go in. And, and again, I'm just saying to her, remember, sweetie, you're in control here. You know, you get to have a say and, and you've got a voice. And, you know, this is about you feeling powerful 
and she meets the teacher and I said, would you like me to tell the teacher how you're feeling? She's like, yes. Yeah. So I said, Tali's feeling a little bit anxious and nervous. She's had some bad experiences with swimming lessons and the teacher just gets down on her level and looks her in the eye and she's like, you are the boss of this. We are going to go as wet in whatever way you need to do it. And I'm just here to help you have fun and to learn. And so instantly I see Tali relax and she gets in the water and then they do an hour lesson. And my child, when she came out, I mean, she was exhausted because there was a big build up to it. But the look on her face was extraordinary. She was just like, I did it. I did it. It was safe. And all those things came into play in a big way. That information, the need to feel safe, the need for others to know where she was at, and the fact that she had an opportunity to really cry and move some of those big feelings beforehand. And so she did the lesson. She was like, I'm so proud of myself. I'm like, I'm proud of you. And we had another lesson two days later. And, you know, I checked in with her, how are you feeling about this? And she's like, I'm about 4% nervous. And she said, but only 4%. And I was like, well, 4% percent's perfect, you know. And, and then, you know, we, we got there and she just jumped in the pool. And, you know, afterwards in reflecting with her, she was like, I just needed to move past all the stuff that felt scary. And she said, and once I knew that I could do it, I could do it. And for me, that was such a beautiful experience and it required a lot of holding and a lot of listening. And I think that's where sometimes I see we are missing some of these pieces when trying to help our kids move through some of these anxious parts. It can feel deeply uncomfortable for us as parents to watch our kids be in that resistance, to watch them be in the places of feeling scared. And so often, um, you know, we can move into the fix or, but it'll be like this and it'll be okay because of that. And often it's our own feelings of, of uncomfortableness of wanting our child to be okay that comes up more so than just the listening and the, the ability to just hold and say, yes, I see how scary this is. I'm with you and I'm going to be right beside you and, and holding that space for them to be able to feel into that stuff that feels scary and also know they've got the tools to move through it once they've kind of, you know, worked through some of those pieces. Mm, so beautiful. That's such a lovely example, isn't it, of, of really the three pieces. And I think so often with fear, once it's, once it's you know, of a relative size, there's usually some element of each of those three pieces do you know what I often think as well around the needs when there's any kind of fear showing up is often the what I call the love needs and the will needs. So the love needs are usually for, for empathy, for listening to be heard, and the will needs for really to have choice and autonomy. So, for example, to be able to say stop and to know that that's going to be heard, I find so often like a really key pivotal point in, uh, in helping um, fear be released and also having that kind of reparative experience like like you supported your daughter to do that she that she went through all of that and then and then it's like getting that new um your word imprint but that you know that experience of like oh I did it I did it and you know you'll remember my uh example of the dentist which we talked about on here some while ago and I went through the same three processes myself you know I I uh, thought a lot about what I really wanted and I found a dentist so like you did with your daughter I found a dentist who was like my dream <laughs> and I got to have choice and autonomy which was like the most important thing to me and I listened to the younger parts of me and, and held myself in ways that were really compassionate and it really transformed the experience and, and after the after the second time which had been a really long one and I had a massive cry and I was just crying from the dentist and my, and my dentist said, would you like a hug? So my dentist just held me while I cried and cried and cried. 
and and I came through just just like your daughter did out the other side going wow it really can be something different which I think is so different from if we kind of try to bypass fear whether that's for our child or ourselves and coerce ourselves because what often happens then is actually more fear accumulates because especially that need those will needs the need for autonomy and choice and really honoring our no and honoring our time and honoring when we feel ready to to take that step is that just accumulates and accumulates and that's where i think often you know what starts off as perhaps a smaller fear can accumulate and accumulate and come become a really big you know become terrifying and really limit a lot of things yeah totally and it really makes me think about too when um when i went through ptsd like 10 years ago from you know pretty uh traumatic experience birth experience which i've shared lots about on here um as i was kind of moving past through that initial kind of ptsd trauma stuff and then um it started to surface as anxiety and i'd never felt it in such a big way before and it turned up for me, I was meant to be going back and teaching birth workshops. And so uh, usually about a day or so before I'd have to do the birth workshop, masses of waves of anxiety would move through me. I wouldn't be able to eat. I'd feel nauseous all the time. And this irrational panic would start happening about this workshop I had to teach. And when I would try and logically talk to myself around it going, it's fine. You've taught so many workshops before, Like you could do this with your eyes closed. The fears that would come up were so irrational, like things like, but what if I feel sick on the day and I can't do it? I'm going to let everybody down and what if people you know uh um you know don't get along in the group and then they're not going to feel like the workshop's any good and all of a sudden it became all about what will people think um what if i can't do a good job i'm going to let people down and so you know this anxiety wave would just creep up and it would get heightened and heightened my husband used to just watch me get to the night before and i was a complete mess and he'd be like "Lael, this is not worth it <laughs> like you know and what i'd have to do is i'd have to through this torturous process kind of talk myself down and then get up in the morning and go and do the workshop and after about an hour I'd be fine and then I would be great and I'd do it but then I'd come home absolutely exhausted because of this huge mental strain it had taken to to get myself to that place and I remember thinking this is this is not how I want to live the rest of my life before every workshop I have to teach having this really big emotional battle and then I guess as I began to learn more and understand a bit more about trauma and understand about my own trauma I began to see that I that need part for me wasn't being fulfilled so I could understand on some level why my rational thoughts were that way I also could you know get the information to go it's just a workshop I've got to do this many hours it'll be fine but I think what I was lacking in that need part was choice and what I really lacked was that empathy and safety and what was interesting is one time a friend of mine was going to come to the workshop because she wanted to see it and that workshop I didn't feel anxious at all because this was a friend I trusted and I told her where I was at and she said to me I'll come and help you set up in the morning I'll be there for you the whole day and having somebody who felt safe that I could go gosh I feel nervous or gosh I feel scared about this who would lovingly accept me even when I felt that eased part of the anxiety for me and so I went oh there's there's something in this here and plus then working through you know just more tears and more feelings of where this kind of stemmed from I gradually began to shift and change what that story was 
to the point where I didn't have anxiety anymore around it. And, you know, it felt good. And I also helped me get clearer on what I really wanted to do and what I didn't. But I think the key thing I learned about the anxiety is that when it used to surface, I used to just turn away from it. I used to be like, no, you're not going to get a grip on me. No, I'm stronger than this. And I would move into this battle with myself of like, you know, go away. You are not going to, you're not going to take me over. And this is just my brain. But it actually was was a part of me that needed me to lean into it and go, oh my God, you've got something to tell me. It was a barometer of where I was feeling. And again, one of the big things that changed it was when I actually turned towards the anxiety instead of trying to turn away from it and went, oh God, come in, take a seat. Oh, what am I feeling? What have you got to tell me? Like you're just a messenger. You're a messenger for me around perhaps where I'm out of balance or where I'm not feeling safe or there's a need that needs to be fulfilled. Like, what is it that you're here to show me? And so instead of making it the enemy, I actually just made it my friend and made it a messenger and just went, oh, you're just a barometer to say that's where I am. And even now, like it's rare that I do have anxiety, but occasionally if I get that feeling, what I do now is go, oh, that's interesting. I'm feeling a little bit like this. What's that about? And now I guess having those tools and skills to kind of lean into it, to just sit with myself and say, what's present for me now? What's going on and what do I need? to help myself, um, you know, feel safe again or come back into balance in whatever way. So it's actually become a beautiful friend, you know, and, and again, the word anxiety, I kind of with you like that. It sounds, it's got a big energy, that word of, you know, bad and wrong. Whereas I just go, for me, I just see it as a messenger. It's just a messenger to say, where are you and what do you need? And I think when I stopped battling with it and seeing it as the enemy and moved it more towards, oh, this is just a part of me getting my attention. And it's, and it's a part that needs to speak loudly if I'm not listening. And so when it's speaking loudly, it's because I need to stop and listen and tune into it a little bit more to see what it is that I, that I deeply need. Mm, beautiful now. Yum yum yum. Mm. So I'm I'm wondering if um if listeners have got uh, um wanting to support their child or children with fear or terror, uh, and I, I think it'd be helpful to know that there are things that we can do on an ongoing basis as well as specifically in the moment. There are things, and I think even on an ongoing basis, if we're wanting to support our children just in general, even if we weren't going through a pandemic, that actually holding in mind those three things can be really helpful. Like giving, giving children clear information, even when they're babies, even when they're toddlers, is explaining to a baby, you know, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna pick you up now, or you know, when, where, you know, what we're doing for the day and giving as much information to a child if they're going to, uh, you know, we're going out for the day. It's like the more information they have, information such a cornine, it really supports children of all ages all humans if we if we have understanding uh, it helps us feel more relaxed because we we know what's happening we understand so in terms of our nervous system we can feel that oh okay so i understand what what's happening so so important so in general these three things are things that we can really support our young people with same for the needs like the more we can offer those key two key things what i call love needs and will needs you know for connection and empathy and um, closeness like you and your, you with your friend at the workshop I mean, that's really powerful isn't it just to even if we put a 
if we're feeling calm and relaxed and our, and our child is maybe feeling a little bit agitated, even just putting a hand on, on the center of their back, we can do that with any age and that can, it really transmits because we're so connected. Mm. So, and, the, and the will needs, you know, the more we're supporting our children to have autonomy and choice and agency. So getting to have choices wherever we can support them in that. So it's so helpful in terms of them having um, less powerlessness and fear in their systems just in general and then in terms of the the feelings there are two wonderful tools that we can use or there are a few but one's laughter and one's crying so laughter uh, there's a lot of attachment play that we can do to support children to, to release fear release powerlessness um, we can maybe we'll talk a bit more about those things and the other things yeah really as you've explained so beautifully is listening to feelings and really honoring that tears are one of the ways we release feelings that otherwise accumulate and, and lead to fear and fear will get bigger and bigger and bigger sometimes what fear can actually be is is um, just unexpressed tears and we didn't actually get maybe when we had a bit of a shock I remember the other day just the other day on Monday my car had a little a little thing happen to it and and there was a long walk. We were out of range and, and there was a lot going on. And just at one point, I, I could feel the tears bubbling. And I was there with two men. I said, both familiar with aware parenting. I said, just going to have a cry. Just going to let it out. It's like the most natural thing that our bodies know how to do. They can also, we can laugh. We can cry. We can shake also when we're feeling scared. These are, our bodies are so amazing they're completely designed to be able to actually release the feelings that are in our bodies. This is like one of the three things that we have. So um, really helpful. The other thing I was thinking about when you were talking about the swimming lessons is understanding loving encouragement. So I like to think of again, love and will. So we can, we can set loving limits so we can stop something from happening, but also if our child does want to do something, they want to move forward and there's fear bubbling up, that loving encouragement is exactly what you did. It's like holding, it's really us holding that trust that and knowing that they're going to be fine and they can do it. And we're going to listen to all the feelings and we're going to provide that really calm, loving presence. We might need to go and do our own inner work and our own, have our own listening time so that we can do that. So we can really hold that. I'm here and I'm going to support you and I'm going to stay connected with you through the process rather than exactly as you said at the beginning, what, I, what I'm hearing you say is uh, parents being told more like, you no, know, it's kind of, I think our culture leaves people behind or just doesn't offer connection to just move through something to come out the other side, just as she did, just as your daughter did going, oh my God, I did it. And I'm only 4% scared next time. Like I did with the dentist, you know, we, we are amazing. We have amazing capacity to, to, um, to release feelings that are showing up as fear and terror, but we need connection, whether that's, if it's a child, they need connection from an adult. If it's us, we sometimes, we can do it ourselves. Sometimes we need connection from another adult, but we have all these amazing tools in aware parenting, the, the core tools and the core principles to support children in general, feeling less fear and being able to respond, um, you know, in the moment to support mm. them so that they can actually feel more comfortable and relaxed in their bodies, open to new experiences, being willing to move forward when they want to. I, the piece, I love all of that. And the piece that sticks out for me too is such an important part, which I've used with my kids and I've asked other people to do for me too, is that 
what you explained so beautifully about that, um, that encouragement, that loving encouragement and us being really centered in our own bodies to say, I believe in you. I know you can do this and I've got you without judgment, without this kind of like, you know, it's fine. You can push through. It's okay. You can do it. But when we really genuinely feel someone is super centered and they are holding that space for us, again, it feels such a need. And I've had so much practice of that with my kids of when they have had to do new things or things have felt scary to really find my center, to just say, I am here to hold a space for you. And I believe in you. I see the most magnificent version of you. And if you're scared, it's okay. And I'm going to hold the energy of what is possible for you. And, you know, for me, that reminds me of, you know, I don't like flying at all. We have this in common, don't we, Mary? We both don't like flying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Flying is, you know, I have to work pretty hard to feel okay about flying. But the few times where I felt okay with flying is been when I've been with someone who really loves flying who feels really safe and comfortable and who also will allow me to feel how I need to feel. So bless my beautiful husband. You know, he knows I don't like flying and it makes him anxious and worried because I feel anxious and worried. So he, he gets into this, like, it's fine, Lael, don't worry. About like, you know what I'm like? This doesn't help me, but he tries to do the kind of like, I don't like seeing you like this. So I'm just going to kind of make it all be okay. But it's not often bless him. He doesn't really listen to these podcasts, but he knows. Whereas, uh, you know, the times I've flown with a friend who I felt really safe and comfortable with and they know where I sit with it and they're totally cool with it, it's been such a completely different experience because they've been like, be wherever you need to be. They're holding for me that loving possibility of that it's okay. And that instantly helps me feel, ah, that's all right. And I think that is such a fundamental piece, isn't it? not only for ourselves, if we are working through anxieties, but for our kids, so important that they are feeling that we sit in a space that says where you are is okay. And that is, again, as we talk about in the we're parenting all the time, one of the challenges of being a parent is, you know, is sitting in the uncomfortable feelings with our kids. It is one of the biggest challenges I think we do because it taps us into our own stories. We often want to fix it and make it okay. So being able to sit in the uncomfortableness of, yes, I see how scared you are, or yes, I see how frightening this is, or yes, I see how anxious you are, but I I can hold this for you and I'm with you and I really believe in you and we can do it together and it can take whatever time it needs to take. For me, sometimes too, that's a really, really important piece of that allowing the child to move at the pace that they're comfortable with. Yes, which again is the will needs is like it's really not coercing, not forcing. Our culture is so much about coercion and force. For, for us as well, you think for adults is like, you know, if you feel scared, fears showing up usually from the past around moving forward to coerce ourselves. And that just again increases the fear because we're not actually, we're not listening to the feelings, but we're also not listening to those beautiful will needs. Do you know, I was also remembering talking about flying. Do you remember that time I came to a workshop, do workshops in Melbourne? Do you remember that time? I remember sitting in your car. I just had that memory flashback. And a couple of days before I'd done a massive big process with somebody where I'd cried and cried and cried and cried. And it was all to do with my experience as a baby in an incubator, which shows up around planes, of course, because, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> enclosed and I can't do much. Um, and you remember I said that time I just felt completely relaxed because I'd had the massivest, biggest crying and um, released a whole lot of big feelings from little baby me and being held, being lovingly held while I did it. Mm-hmm. So it's really powerful to see, I think, for ourselves to really understand these different pieces around 
fear to understand the information piece there's a really practical things that we can do the needs piece particularly for connection and for autonomy and to get to release those feelings whether it's through laughter or crying the more we go we have that kind of in our mind okay so what do i need to do do i need to give information do i need to offer connection or choice do i need to listen to feelings do i need to move in with play we've got these amazing tools and we have and we can do the same for ourselves our partner our child really helpful to know that we have a lot of a lot of different ways that we can go to um to help yes that's it that's so it and i think you know like simple things like you know if your child's frightened of going to the dentist of using that play playing dentists you know letting them be the dentist letting them be in charge giving them information as you're saying you know we can apply this to anything and i think if we come back to the school thing that i started off with um, you know, for me, trying to give our kids as much choice and autonomy around how it is to say goodbye and look at the moment, it can be tricky because of these, you know, what's going on with COVID. And I think that's one of the biggest issues I was seeing is that, you know, parents weren't being able to take their kids into classrooms to stay with them until they felt ready to separate, where they were listening to their feelings. There was often a lot of don't cry, it's fine, you know, and trying to distract the child to look at what is it that's going to really support your child to work through these things so that, that they can feel really good to separate and do it. And, you know, some of the parents I've worked with, you know, had to really battle, I think a little bit, you know, had quite a battle with the system to really hold that for their children so that their kids could work through it and then they could move forward. You know, it's something, again, I think about with my school, one of the biggest things that, uh, is important to me with families is that any transitions we make for children, any separations, we're really holding space for both the parent and the child. And we're looking at it and we don't need to force it and there is no coercion and we will give them space to do it in a way that feels safe for both of them, the parents and the kids. And and so I think, you know, for me, that's a really important part and value of our school is that um, we we understand that this can be really big for children. And so we want to make it feel as safe as possible. We want to provide that safe container, whether it's teachers who can listen to feelings and tears, whether it's our support staff, whether it's just holding the parents so they can process whatever that might look like for them. But to really hold that family unit to say, well, what do you guys all need and how can we do this so you can work through those bigger picture feelings instead of just, you know, kind of off you go, we'll fine and, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. Um, you know, for me, it's super, super important. I wish more of our systems had that in place, you know, but unfortunately, I don't think they do. But I really do encourage parents, ask for it, ask for it. If you know what your child needs or you know what's going to support them in doing that, then be their advocate to help them work through those fears or those anxieties because you'll be doing, giving your child such a gift and yourself and you'll be modelling it for others of what can be possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm having a look at my notes to see if there's anything else I wanted to say. How are you feeling now? What do you have more things? What else am I thinking around that? I don't know. For me, I guess the take home of the this anxiety piece, I think, is really just around um, seeing that it's a messenger for some other things, and whether that is stuff from the past, whether it's just being able to say as you lean into giving more information, you know, around what is happening or more support connection, all the main things we've talked about today is not seeing it as a bad thing, seeing it as just a messenger, 
and that when it turns up, it's just our body and our brain saying, hey, something feels, you know, um, scary for me here. And, you know, and then that could just lead us into this is not wrong or bad. This is just a beautiful barometer that we have in built because we all have anxiety on some level, whether we call it anxiety or not. Our brains are built to go, is there danger here? And it's so important that we have that because, you know, otherwise we wouldn't survive. <laughs> you know, we need that high alert to go, Jesus, I've got to get out of the way or, you know, there's something coming for me that shouldn't be. And so, you know, we need to, this is an important part of who we are as humans. So understanding that firstly is not a bad thing is, is, can be, you know, can make a difference to go, there's nothing wrong with me. I shouldn't have anxiety or whatever we're going to call it. It's just a normal part of us that is alerting us to something. But sometimes that alert is on high alert all the time. And I think that's where we need to look at how do we help it? What can we do? What can we bring to our children or to ourselves to help us process or heal or move what we need to so that we can thrive and move forward? You know, that's the goal because anxiety can feel incredibly crippling and it can stop people from doing a lot of things in their lives and their worlds. And, you know, I, I love to say that sometimes it is a work in progress, but it can be worked with. It can totally be worked with. And, you know, I hope that, people listening to this identify with some of the things we've talked about and allow and, you know, can see, Oh, actually these are the pieces that are missing for me that I might need, or these are the pieces that are missing for my child. And how can I bring them in to see if that can help this process? Mm, so beautiful now. Do you know, I, I really enjoyed what you said about the, um, that welcoming of the feelings because it actually helped me remember when I realized because I had a lot of fear and terror, more like terror, all through my childhood mostly I think incubator baby feelings and separations that I had um, and I used to be afraid of the fear so mm. if fear showed up then there would be no I shouldn't exactly back in those days I shouldn't be scared or what will people think or they'll judge me or those kinds of things and it just makes everything 20,000 times harder mm. I know for me when I really got to the point more recently of um I think a few years ago, I said, I'm going to welcome every single one of my feelings, every single, and like you said, I remember Ram Dass many years ago, um, he used to say, you know, come on, come on in, welcome, welcome, join the party. So <laughs> once I befriended uh, fear and terror, actually, and really learned how to, it's been the last feeling and the most challenging one for me, way more than outrage and frustration and way more than sadness and grief and loss. Um, but to really understand it and to, to, to not be afraid of it makes it a whole lot more easier because then we can actually attend to you know, what's going on here. What do, what am I telling myself? What information do I need? What needs, what love and well needs to have and what's showing up from the past? How can I have a cry or have a laugh? Go and watch um, um, some great laughter videos. Do you ever go and watch laughter videos? Mm. My attachment play course used to, to go and find the funniest laughter play um, videos, just laughing hysterically, mm. such a helpful way and really helpful at these times. Do you know when um, the pandemic first started, did you ever, we talked about this, we have done a podcast on fear, haven't we? Mm -hmm. What was it called? Was it called fear? I can't remember. I think it was, I'm scared. We, I think it was called I'm scared. Mm. And we were, I was showing about the, the dog Pluto and I remember it was just after the toilet paper thing and I literally was on the floor 
in hysterical laughter, just that kind of, you know, where the cheeks are aching and the solar plexus is aching. Laughter is such a powerful way to release painful things as long as tickling isn't happened, isn't mm. happening. So it can be really helpful at these times to be watching comedies. It's not a distraction from feelings. I mean, it is if there's crying happening and you're trying to get laughter going. If crying's happening, we need to listen to the crying. But laughter is so important at these times. And I think it can mm. help us really understand that that's actually getting really natural and normal to be laughing mm. and actually help release the fear. Mm. Do you know the other thing as you're talking about that I'm thinking about is that I have found that I do this now. If I am feeling worried or nervous or anxious, I just call it to whoever's around. Like I just say it. Like if I'm walking into a meeting and I'm feeling like, this is hard. I'll just go, I'm feeling really nervous because I'm with you all really smart people. Like I'll say something like this. I had to have a meeting with a group of lawyers at my school and I was like, oh God, I'm really, you know, I feel like there's stuff in this for me. <laughs> so I just called it and they all looked at me strange, but then they laughed and then instantly I relaxed because I was like, well, I'm just going to be where I am. It might give you permission to be where you are. And I've done that before too, when I have to do big talks or events you know, I might even start by walking on and cracking a joke and then owning about where I'm at. And instantly I feel my whole body relax because I'm like, well, my biggest fear is that they're going to judge me for not being okay. I've actually just told them that I'm not okay. And they're all still here listening to me. So that's a win. So I think those things sometimes too have made a big difference for me is to just own where I am. This is where I am. It's okay for me to be here, you know, and, and, you know, you're still sitting here and that's, that means, you know, that you haven't run away and gone, Oh my God, she's terrible. You know, I'm like, it's all right. There's more evidence. It's okay to be real. It's okay to be real. Mm. Yeah. I have totally resonate that with that. That's what I found too. Cause it's a similar thing, isn't it? If we're not trying to pretend that we're not actually feeling how we're feeling, mm. if, we're, if we're trying to pretend we're not feeling how we're feeling, how can we be present with what we're feeling? How can we have capacity to be with the younger parts that, is, that are showing up with the unmet needs? We, can't, we cannot if we're going, we're doing everything in our power to go to pretend we're not feeling it. Mm. You know, it's really you know, so important, mm. isn't it? Yes. To do that. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, for me, the older I get, the transparency of turning up how we are is so powerful. And I think every time we're brave enough to do it, it gives other people permission to do it as well. And, I, you know, for me, I really celebrate that. I just see it as, as something really wonderful and beautiful <sighs> to just be like, this is where I am and I'm enough, even if you don't like me in that part of me. That's okay. I still like me, so that's all right. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it take a while to get there, but gosh, it can be freeing when, it, when you do. So it's so helpful. I want to remind everyone, laughter, if you can laugh in any way, possible i'm actually remembering another time when in um the pandemic first hit and for the first time we could do a uh, as a level two instructor we could do a workshop online that would count towards certification as an aware parenting instructor so i'd never done big workshops i've done courses online for years as you know but i'd never done a, a zoom call so it was 20 people including me um which i was fine i had it all set up and everything and then overnight zoom had changed so that you needed a password to get in when well, I didn't know I hadn't read you know me I don't read emails I hadn't got the email so here I've got 19 people all writing in the Facebook group saying I can't get in it says I need a password and like I have no idea what's going on and really it was really helpful to me to see in the past I would have gone into uh, hitting myself with emotional sticks like you know what are people going to think of me and I would have been terrified and I would have been panicking and 
you know, and have fallen over, fallen apart. And literally we just use a lot of play because of course everyone was also feeling frustrated or concerned or confused or didn't know what was happening. So I spend the good, you know, the first five or 10 minutes just like doing lots of laughter and lots of silliness around, you know, what happened. And it was really, really helpful to remember that whatever's happening, as long as it's not really you know, like life or death, obviously, but we can usually bring in laughter in situations mm. that are actually, um, you know, feeling hard and, and, you know, a lot harder than a, a Zoom call. Mm. Really great tool to bring in and to understand and um, to know that that's actually that's a natural mechanism. I remember the first time I laughed in a, a really scary situation, I thought for years I really judged myself. I thought, you know, what <laughs> what mm. is going on? I laughed then. So to really understand that that's normal and natural. Mm. So if, you're, if your child's laughing and you're, being, you're telling them seriously about the pandemic or mask or something and they're laughing, they are not laughing at you. They are not being in vertical mm. disrespectful they're probably releasing some fear mm. yes yes totally yes i've seen that many many times before that laughter in times where you think oh what's going on here but just that beautiful natural response you know to to help ourselves cope and move yeah it's beautiful mm. all right so well to finish off marion what what is your offering of um what would you like people to contemplate Oh, so um, the offering of uh, contemplate um is that feel helpful for you the, that list of the three causes and if so would you like to like write it down somewhere or make a note of it somewhere or like put it on your phone or whatever so that you can hold that in mind for yourself and your child or children to to be kind of having a little list to go through, which can be really helpful to, to remember. It's always like lists of three because it's like in that moment of like, what on earth can I do? You can go through and give an information. Have I acknowledged if I'm trying to meet, aiming to meet those needs for connection choice? And am I there available to listen to the feelings either through laughter or crying? Mm. That's beautiful. And I would love to offer... If you have anxiety, which, you know, we all have it at certain points, or, or do you judge yourself and can you bring in some beautiful loving compassion for yourself instead and for your child as well? Can you surround those experiences with some compassion and just remember you're doing the best job you know how and that your body and your beautiful brain is just a messenger and can you, can you surround yourself in a whole lot of kindness and compassion for, for those experiences instead of judgment? It could be such a big game changer, I think. So I'm inviting you to do that if you can. And Marion, would you like to share with our beautiful listeners about some of your offerings in, in you know, relation to, um, to what we're talking about? What have you got that you can tell people about? I would love to do that. So I have two courses I think will be particularly relevant for this. I have an attachment play course, which goes into a lot of detail about really specific games that you play with everything from going to the dentist to getting the car seat or whatever and really uh, uh, explaining what attachment play is and how to use it. And I also have making friends with children's feelings, which again is really helpful to really understand the whole uh, expression, repression, aggression, and how to support children so that they're expressing their feelings more so that they're not moving into those spaces of mm. um, so much fear that they cannot actually move forward. 
Mm, yes, I highly recommend people get it, get on board. <laughs> go do it. When people want to know more about play, I go, go see Marion's course. It's amazing, you know, because I think it is explained so beautifully and just gives them tools and understanding to to integrate that into their family. So, yes. There are also videos, lots of videos of playing, which I was fine really mm. to actually watch. So yes. Yeah, beautiful. What about you, Lau? What amazing wondrousness do you have? <laughs> well, I am excited. I have a new Aware Parenting for Couples course that Yay! is going to be launching soon. So we're, uh, we are in the beginning of September, so that will be launched in October. I'm really excited about this because it brings, I guess, those um, – it brings all the philosophies and the, the tools of where parenting, but it also gets you to look at how you guys are as a couple, what your imprints from your childhood are, how they might turn up with your parenting, how we often have our own battles with each other as a couple around sometimes around up parenting stuff so it's kind of a combined course of aware parenting and you know a little bit of relationship stuff so i'm very excited to have that out there it's it's juicy that's coming soon and i said so isn't it is so needed it's like a space that's that's you've moved it's it's one of the things i get messaged about the most is i usually have probably more women than men saying how can i get my partner on board what can i do for my partner like what you know it's i'm doing this but they're not and how can we work through some of that stuff so i really wanted to answer that for people to say okay here's something you can do together that you can commit do together and do it together and and do some of these practices together to to help you both hopefully get on the same page or just work through some of the blocks that can be there uh and i also have another aware parenting immersion which is an eight week um journey you get to take with me that's starting i think mid-october as well which is some deeper story a deeper look into your own childhood and imprints and how they turn up in your parenting so that's a good juicy one as well so yeah yeah i hear hear people have been raving about it now so ah thank you darling yes very wonderful (laughs) (laughs) ah thank you it's easy it's it's, you know it's uh, look i must admit when i created this immersion course and i know you're the same marion because we talk about this you create this stuff and then you think i wonder how it'll land and then once it's there and you're seeing people doing it, you go wow this is amazing (laughs) and even as i was doing my last round i was like god this is so good each time i even do it with people i'm still learning stuff about myself as well you know it's that ongoing journey so yeah it's it's beautiful it feels a real feels a real honor to take people on that journey so Mm. yes mm. so thank you everybody for being here um you know we're, we're sorry we've been a bit of a gap between podcasts but life has been very busy we've been busy creating lots of things um so you know we thank you for always for people sharing our podcasts and giving us reviews and you know and telling others about it we really do appreciate the love and um and all these beautiful listeners so thank you mm, thank you and so much love to you bye Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.